The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. And now your host, Tim Penny and the Art of War coaches. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Art of War podcast. I am your host, not Steve Joel. In fact, it is the one and only Nick Nanavadi. Steve is uh, hes doing good right now, but he's taking a little break. So we are back, and we are here with Nassim and his Iron Hands. Nassim, how are you doing? I am doing absolutely fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing great. For those of you who don't know, Iron Hands are really dominating the scene these days, especially over in the UK. Nassim's been doing some awesome work with them. And uh, we are here with him and the one and only John Lennon, one of the most accomplished 40K players to date and currently ranked number three in the ITC. Is that right, John? Uh, that is correct. I, at least it was the last time I checked. <laughs> awesome. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. Really excited to be here. You know I love everything in power armor. Um, I'm not going to paint them black, but I will run my other Marines as Iron Hands when I need to. So I'm really excited to hear about the Iron Hand Resurgence and uh, the man who's leading it. Me too. For those of you who are new and just joining the show, this is a two-part episode. Basically, in the first part, which is free to view and probably how you're listening to it, um, you can basically we're going to go through Nassim's Iron Hands list, break down the units he's taken, the strategy, how he uses it, and that macro level approach to 40k, why he's taking what he's taken, and how it works. And then in part two, which is for subscribers only and members of the war room, you can check out uh, his breakdown of all the individual matchups, how he actually deploys the army in various missions how he approaches different problems in the game, and, and really practical advice. So stay tuned for that if you're interested. Anyways, Nassim, why don't you take it away and just tell us off what your list is? Hello, people. Well, as I mean, as you already know, it is Iron Hands. Um, it's not the usual. It's not the OG Iron Hands, unfortunately. They're, they're a bit gone now. We are running OG Iron Hands successes. I'm running Master Artisans and Whirlwind of Rage. I've got two detachments, a patrol and a vanguard, you know, the classic Space Marines detachments. In the HQ choice, uh, who is also my warlord, it's a Primaris Chaplain on bike. He's made upgrade to a Master of Chaptity, uh, Master of Sanctity, there we go. Wazero to a warlord trait and has target protocols for an additional warlord trait. Uh, Litanies for recitation of focus, which is plus one to hit, and Canticle of Hate, which is extra movement, basically. Uh, for the troop choice, it is the controversial infiltrators. You don't see many of those around. And then I've got a squad of Vanguard Vets with Storm Shield Lightning Claws, the usual. And I've got two Land Speeders with Multi Motors, an Eliminator Squad, and a Relic Contempted Dreadnought that's been, this has been given all the goodies. Uh, Cyclone Missile Launcher, he's a uh, March of the Ancient, so he's a character. He also has a Warlord trait for Exploding Sixes to hit. Um, double Volkite, he's just absolutely on all the jobs you can imagine. And then the second attachment is uh, a Vanguard of, again, the same thing Master Artisans and Warwood of Rage. It's a lieutenant, or a primary lieutenant, with a mastercrafted power sword. He does have rights of war, and he also has Vox Spiritum, so nine-inch aura of upset, which is really, really big, and reroll once to wound. Additionally, in that detachment, I do have a three-man company veteran squad uh, with storm shields and chainswords. The sergeant has a lightning claw, just because five attacks of a lightning claw on a sergeant is pretty cool. And I have two redemptive dreadnoughts, because they are hands down one of the best units in Marines, with two macroplasma incinerators, storm bolters, and onslaught gatling cannons. And I've got two, ven uh, two more Vanguard veteran squads with the Storm, uh, Storm Shield's Lightning Claws. But the Sergeants are a little bit different. They have a hammer and a Lightning Claw, no Storm Shields, just to give me that extra flexibility going into the, uh, any matchup. And I've got two Devastator squads. Oh, these guys are just amazing. 
uh, with two multi-melters and two grav cannons each, and the sergeants that have double chainsword, and each squad has an Ormonium Cherub, and as you can imagine, the list finishes off with an amazing, amazing drop pod, the MVP of the list. <laughs> Nassim knows about my hatred for the drop pods. Uh, unfortunately, I may be outnumbered on this one. Nick has used it in the past as well. Ah, the uh, drop pods love. <laughs> I love the list, Nassim. Uh, really, really, uh, I was excited when I saw that Iron Hands were starting to make waves again. Um, so here, here's kind of a question for you. How did it start with Iron Hands? So I kind of actually want to just dive into that part first. Um, are you an Iron Hand player? Are you a Marine player who decided the time was right to do Iron Hands? How how did this come about? So I was so I'm actually initially just an Imperium player. Um, OG, so people that know me will know that I actually played Guard for 8th and early um, ninth. But Iron Hands came up, came up with me experimenting at the start of ninth with just different soup options, White Scars and Guard, Blood Angels and Guard, Salamanders and Guard. So you can see a pattern there, Dark Angels and Guard. And then I realized... Soup is just is not what it used to be really in eighth. Like there was there was more I felt like there were more detriments than positives. And also there were an outdated codex with a new codex didn't really synergize too well. So I was looking at Iron Hands and I was like, okay, these guys got nerfed multiple times. What exactly got nerfed? Okay, cool. Uh they can't do uh this they don't they don't have the unkillable dread, they just have an untargetable dread. And I was just thinking, actually, I saw most of these ideas came from a mate of mine, Daniil. He told me about, oh, yeah, did you know that Iron Hands have a strat have for exposing sixes to hit, uh, for exposing sixes to wound? And I was like, ah, that's that's pretty good. And then Lightning Claws got buffed. I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody realized at that point. Lightning Claws got buffed and Storm Shows got changed. And I was like, hmm, five Vanguard Vets at the time was 140 points. And I was like, these, like, I honestly started with those guys. And I was like, because I think that five-man unit is... It, they always are the MVPs in any list I play. And I think in most Space Marines, this Vanguard Vets are just the MVPs because they're fast, durable, and damaging. But also, it, the Iron Hand still had one thing over other Space Marines, and that was the drop pod. Since, you know, come down turn one of a reroll wants to hit, uh, no penalty. It was just an exploding six, uh, well, it was good, an exploding sixes to wound was really, really big. And it just gave them that alpha strike that was that kind of faded away uh, at the beginning of ninth um, during the time. But uh, that's mainly how it started. And then, uh, to be fair, the, I think the Relic Contemptor is, uh, the Untouchable Dread is the latest edition of the list. Everything else, the Plasma Dreads were always there. I think initially I was running one Gatling and one Plasma, but kind of shifted over to double Plasma with more vehicles coming into the meta. Awesome. Well, it makes a lot of sense why you moved away from soup and into the more mono faction for Iron Hands. Um, one thing I noticed about your list is it, it looks really similar to like your stereotypical space wolf builds. Um, you know, the Dreadnought core with Vanguard Veteran Support instead of Wolfguard. I know Jaime Paris, we've got him on the podcast a couple times, has been running the Devastators in a Drop Pod combo. You have yep. some unique bits with the Relic Contemptor, and of course, but um, if this army plays with the same style units that other Space Marine chapters play with, do you think it's, it's better, worse, or just different from those ones? Um, I think Iron Hands are the granddaddy of all these chapters. They are paramount. They are the best by um, country mile. Like they make space wolves look like children. They make white scars look just weak in comparison. They're they've what from what I found with them is that they can do what every other chapter can do, but better. They have better durability, better shooting, better melee, 
the speed is the only aspect that you can compensate with that with Vanguard veterans. That's really interesting. So you say they just do space marines better than all the other space marines. I can see that they are more durable with their built-in female pain and the character dreadnought and degrading. But like, what else do they do that's unique and powerful? Why why is this a better chapter? So as I mentioned right off the bat, they so they usually with space marines um, with the CP changes, uh, you don't have any, as many CP to play with as you did before. Uh, but the great thing about Iron Hand is that even the list that century does that with four CP. However, all of their stratagems are one CP, so it means like you're not really all pushing yourself uh, for strat use, and all and they have three strats, which is just phenomenal. So you have one strat which puts a Iron Hand unit back into Devastator Doctrine, or, so that means they get the additional point of AP, the no penalty, and the reroll wants to hit. So if you put that on the Contemptor, all of a sudden his Volkites are AP one again, so it pushes uh, from a two, it pushes access, uh, Terminators from a two up to a three up. With def- uh, so all of a sudden you're doing literally twice the amount of damage in, uh, in comparison. Uh, you can put it on a Devastator squad, so when it comes down, if it survives, all of a sudden you don't lose any efficiency. They have ac- they have access to the Fiber Full No Pain strat, so let's say you get charged by a uh, White Scar of uh, Vanguard Vets, for example, that reach you, going to your own Vanguard Vets, and you pop the strat. All of a sudden, every failed save isn't a dead model, but it's rather it's a model that can survive. And I've had it multiple times where, uh, actually, I think an uh, example is when Jaime charged in his Chapter Master into only Infiltrators and only killed three models because of the Fiber Full No Pain. So all of a sudden, which was a massive swing, and it's happened consistently throughout. And I think the other strat is the one that I mentioned, exploding sixes to wound. It's just free real estate with reroll to wound. Because in theory, if you charge with uh, Vanguard Vets, yeah, let's say you hit on twos if you're born hero, or in this case, a master artisans, maybe you, you, I still have a strat to for plus one to hit in close combat. So I can hit on twos, I have exploding sixes, I get 100% efficiency, and then I wound on fours against most targets, let's say transhuman terminators. Rerolling sixes explode on average, I get 21 wounds, and all of a sudden you're forcing those five ups or four up invans, and the majority of that squad is now gone. There's been many times where I've had five Vanguard vets charge into space marine bodies, charge like uh, characters like Drazar, and just completely tear him down, quite literally because of that strat. I, I love it, honestly. I like that uh, you have all of these damage link buffs. I mean, I think we all, you know, those of us who have been playing for at least two years remember the damage of Iron Hands. Um, a lot of that is still there. And, you know, Iron Hands took some nerfs uh, to certain builds, but a lot of the stuff that made them so oppressive back at the end of 8th edition is just still there. Um, you know, and, you know, even some cheeky stuff for those of you who remember, some of the nerfs actually got undone. Like when they took that Overwatch on a 4 plus strat to 2 CP, it actually went down to 1. So because you have to spend 1 to Overwatch now. Um, there, there's a lot that, honestly, I, I actually like this Iron Hand build that you've done even more than some of the Space Wolves that we've seen uh, doing pretty well in the meta. Um, some of the big things for me is that it, you shoot a lot better, and I feel like at least where the meta was right before the balance update, that felt a lot more important. Yeah. Uh, where you were actually able to get the shooting done early, you were actually able to, you know, you a lot of melee armies, I feel like they kind of wait a turn or two to try to impact the board, and you were hoping that your opponent wasn't going to force the issue before then. Mm. And it feels like Iron Hands are like, oh, you want to get going early? No problem, we can start now. Mm. That's kind of the thing that I like most about your list, is that I love melee marines, I love Vanguard veterans. You don't, of course, have plenty of melee aspects. I love that it's not forced to wait till turn two or for your opponent to come to you. Uh, I've, I've, that's, one of, that's actually one of the main reasons why I love the drop pods. I've had practice games with, uh, without it, and it just didn't feel um, it didn't feel as right. Usually, I'd have to uh, I'd be reliant to, to wait for my opponent to start a fight, or I would have to overcommit to start a fight. 
with the drop pod, you can just place it down and be like, okay, 10 Devastators are coming out now. Let's let, let's get the ball rolling. You can't ignore them. You have to focus them. And it just uh, allows me to know where my opponent's focus goes to. It's just great in actually just controlling the ball state in that, in that state. I'd, I'd love to take a step back and just talk about the general strategy of this list when you play it, because it's definitely made of the same. I mean, it's like Redemptors and Vanguard Vets mm-hmm. that most Space Marine armies or typical Space Marine armies do include. But um, it's not your traditional, let me just take a bunch of vehicles, Iron Hands. You play it with a lot more combat elements. And with that, it, it'll just have a different approach to the game. So how do you physically play this on the table? Like, what's the go-to strategy? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, usually... Uh, if I had to be honest, uh, there's the list breaks uh, the list breaks itself down to three components. There's usually the Dread Treaty Castle, um, which is also uh, a counterpunch element, with the midboard Vanguard Vet uh, like midboard presence because uh, they can uh, move twelve inches and then charge with plus two. And then after that, there's also the Devastators plus four deploy elements, like the four deploy like three eliminators, cheap four deployed. That I, if I know where I want my drop pod, now when the roll off, put three eliminators there. If I go first. That drop pod goes there in the optimal place and it shoots. Um, but the way the list conventionally works is you always take off. It's just an amazing, it's amazing uh, marine secondary. If you go first, you kill your opponent. You go second, you score points. It's a win-win. Uh, but yeah, the list usually it's uh, the way that it works. You've got a free company veterans that screen out the um, well, not going to uh, screen out the characters, so that screen out the chaplain. And because the captain uh, chaplain's got a big base, that means he can string out even more. And that means he can give uh, the Devastators, the uh, what's it called, the uh, target protocols uh, warlord trait for uh, for a turn. So all of a sudden, the, uh, the Devastators are even more efficient. Um, it's just great overall. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's really hard to describe. It's something that you really need to physically see in front of you. But it's this, there's so many combat elements, so, so there's just so much speed to it, that regardless of which position that you're in, you're able to move so fast and uh, to adjust, and because the entire army is effectively core, or the entire army is the entire army in that case is obsec. So usually during the mid game, uh, during the early game, I have to keep my dread safe. The sort of two uh, plasma dreads will just do some chip shooting. During turn two to turn three, they'll even start to, uh, they'll start moving up, uh, and for example, threatening the mid board uh, as well with the vanguard vets, or the vanguard vets have already gone in, and while the contemptor holds a flank because that contemptor's output is is insane. And you just slowly, it's a slow grind against your opponent. You don't, like, you don't always kill them in a turn. You just kill them gradually over two to three turns, and there's usually not much they can do about it because you've got Vanguard Vest behind the wall that are charging you that do incredible damage. And if you charge them, you might not kill them because of the fiber funeral pain and the storm shields. You've got the Dread, which are minus one damage and toughness seven, and they're pretty hyper-efficient with their shooting with the plasma because of Master Artisans. Um, you've got with the chaplain that can helps you that helps you sling across as effectively gives you an extra eight inch uh, eight inches of free movement with the plus three to charge and the plus three uh, plus three piling to consolidate. Uh, there's just many parts of the list that work hand in hand. It's just it just synergizes really well with each other, and everything is a threat. Everything can score points. Like regardless, if I lose, uh, I've had times where I've lost both dreads turn one, and I've lost five vanguard bets. So I still I had I still had other this uh, scoring components like land speeders going. And because they have a multi-multi of master artisans and everyone wants to hit, they can still do damage, they can still do the plink shooting while still scoring me points. So I'm never really behind, even though I'm behind in point, I'm behind in physical points, I'm not behind in victory points. You know, I, I actually want to take just a second and focus a little bit on that Contemptor Dreadnought. I know you <laughs> mentioned 
that he uh, does incredible damage, and I believe you. But uh, real quick, this Contemptor Dreadnought, who is uh, notably a character, can you just break him down real quick? Give us the run on what makes this man so good. Okay, so uh, so as, as you know, he's a character, so he can't be targeted. Um, honestly, he's the closest. But the best part about it is that because of the company veterans, he just can't be targeted. We arrange attacks full stop. We all know we all we all know bodyguard. We all have bodyguard. We see it with sisters. You had it yourself. Um, he's got two Volkites. Uh, usually, and uh, what's so it's 16 shots. He'll hit on twos with uh, the plus one to hit litany. So he's hitting on twos, rolling once. His Volkite, uh, he his Warlord trait is sixes to hit, or it was an additional attack. So, every, so on average, you'll get three to uh, three to four more attacks, and you hit on twos, rolling once. So you get an average out of 19 Volkite hits. And then you've got two crack missiles, um, which, as you can imagine, uh, there's been times where you roll a couple, well, one six, so you get three crack missile hits. And if you combo that with exploding with the strategy for exploding sixes to wound as well, you're effectively almost uh, you've literally buffed your output by around 33 percent. So if you're winning on, uh, let's say you're winning a, uh, what's it called? Let's just say you're winning something on sixes. You're literally doubling your damage. You're not doubling your motor wound output, unfortunately. But you're literally doubling your damage. So it's 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 insane. Like against Harlequin bikes, for example, where they've got three up in advance. It's the way the weight of shots and every shot matters. It, it adds up the crack missiles. It adds up. I actually had a time where I shot uh, the two crack missiles into a links. I got three hits and then I got five wounds and I did twenty five damage with, with just those two crack missiles. <laughs> no, it, 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 it was hilarious. I was just like, okay, I'm gonna shoot my Volkites into this and my crack missiles into this, and I was just like, yeah, it's just it's insane because you can usually count on the fact that. Because he's also usually a target of, of uh, the target protocols water trait, so he's got two reroll hits. So if he doesn't get a plus one to hit, it's completely fine. You can reroll two of his hits. Uh, he still rerolls once to uh, reroll once to hit. So he's still hyper efficient in his shooting, and it's just insane. Yeah, like I've I've it's, yeah I've I've had this guy just pick up twenty ranges comfortably in the shooting phase, and it's just absolutely nuts. Um, was it good? He's uh, hyper efficient into uh, was it called, uh, Jukari as well because they're toughness free. Their vehicles have toughness six, so he can hit on twos. You effectively usually get around nine to ten hits, and then you wind on uh, fours, we roll ones, you do mortal wounds, the AP ones, you're forcing the end one. It's two damage. It's it, it, it's it's a lot. And then when you think that you can't target this person back, it's 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 it starts to get out. It's, it's, it starts to spiral out of control. Like usually you can take a turn of shooting or two turns of shooting from him. Because usually uh, most other people, like I'm I'm sure you've had it with your contemptors, uh, John. Where they're shooting, they're doing damage, but then they die because they can get shot back. This one can't, and he's doing two to three times the damage to turn for five turns. Yeah, he he really might as well, honestly, like he might as well hit as hard as about two or two contemptors. Yeah, does he or really hit that hard? He's back. absolutely insane. <laughs> he's I've, I've, I, 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 I'm not a joke, and I'm not overreacting when I say or, or over exaggeration when I say what well, I played against. I think in the LGT Open. Um, the first one a couple months back i shot him into morty and i did eight mortal wounds to morty and uh, i'm just by the way this is eight mortal wounds that he didn't feel no pain on and i did i was going an additional um uh, uh i think another additional seven damage so i did a total of like 14 damage to morty within one shooting phase of him with just the volkites <laughs> and my opponent was just like yeah mate like it's gg i mean you still have to do mortals on sixes to wound did you just roll a ton of sixes yeah Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, it's uh, when you think about it, um, it it's not it does not it's not a massive. Like, it, it is a spike, 
But when you combo that, you already have exploding sixes to hit effectively because you're hitting on twos re-rolling, and then you're winning on fives and so you're winning on fives, sixes, fives and sixes. The sixes also explode and cause an additional wound. It's effectively just as good as plus one to wound. All in all, it causes it. All you need is a little bit of a spike, and it's, 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 yeah, it's just so much damage. It's insane. Like I think I've I've had him one shot the court the, the court the the herbal party. <laughs> My opponent was not happy about it. One shot the Slithen Urkel party. Yeah, I, it was. That's heartbreaking. Insane. I don't want to hear. I, that. I was. It, it was insane because he he didn't pop minus one to hit because he didn't think he could kill him and I was like okay. Anyways. Anyways. <laughs> two real ones and two real ones. <laughs> So one thing I noticed about your list, Steve, is that you have a lot of super powerful units, right? Like all of your units can buff, get buffed up with some amazing stratagems, and that makes them tougher. That makes them hit harder. That's all great. And you, your dreadnoughts don't get shot back, and your your Vanguard vets can hide and play that skirmish game that Marines do so well, and your drop pod devs hit really hard. But you don't have much like small cheap stuff or mission playing tools. You have a unit of infiltrators, a unit of eliminators, and some storms, uh, which is you know, probably as much as most space marines armies typically bring. But is that what they're there for? How do you use them? And then, like, do you find you need more tools to help play the mission? So actually, before this, I actually had two squads of eliminators and I had two storms. And uh, so I've actually upgraded my storms to land actual land speeders with multi motors. So now they can actually play the mission and still do damage, which is nice. But I, honestly, sometimes I would not feel two ways about secondary them to to just score me two points on off. Or so like, I, literally, it's just as you said. Marines themselves are just so expensive and cost-effective that you can't really afford to have a million uh, just what's it called objective playing units. I mean, you can, um, and that's fine and all, but you still need the actual damage to compete. I realize, especially over here in the UK, where th there's so many guns, there's just so many guns, it's insane. Uh, like, I, so they're still squads. They're so they're like the eliminator squad with that can fire and fade uh, behind a wall and score off or score engage. There's still the two land speeders that can score it and score engage. Um, I, there's still the free company veterans. If I don't need bodyguard, I will sack them. They will go with their storm shields and hold an objective. Um, the vanguard vets as well. No two ways about them. If if I have to, uh, if if I have to sack them to score engage and or and or charge, they will. I think the other thing is that that's another reason why I have the drop pod. Like if if I'm playing on like an mission, like let's say uh, search and destroy. Is search and destroy? What's the one of directors? So sweep and clear. There we go. Sweep and clear. Um, I, I will feel no two ways about putting a drop pod right in the middle of the table. Or even if some missions where if they don't, like like battle lines. I think it would, uh, a big one was in my game against Manny on the LGT Invitational, where I just went first and I, you know, I felt no two ways about putting my drop pod right in the middle to score off and just forcing my opponent to shoot it if they wanted to stop me scoring points. As I, it's literally as simple as that. Like if if I need if I need off, I'll put a drop pod in the middle and force my opponent to shoot it. If I need engage, I'll put the drop pod in the corner and force my opponent to shoot it. Because nobody ever wants to shoot a drop pod because everybody wants to tag it. Everybody loves tagging it. Um, but then if they don't kill it, it's just scoring you points passively. And if they kill it, they've now wasted anti-tank weaponry that would uh, more preferably want to go into Vanguard vets to force the invans or dreads to actually kill them into a drop pod. Okay, okay. I Obviously, I have to do the little bit of the rebuttal against the drop pod. Uh, I play Space Marines all the time, but I'm notorious for 
my strong dislike of the drop pod. Um, so, all right, you talk about kind of using it as bait because people love to tag it. Mm. Um, is that ever a problem at all? Do you ever get tempted to, um, you know, put it more aggressive just to get more damage? Do you ever like, does that like hold you back from using it more aggressive? Does it always kind of land with the castle? Um, um, I, I see. Usually, I, I I don't like to be overly aggressive with it unless I know I can put it in a uh, place where it's inconvenient for my opponent. So let's say um, I can put it with super aggressive, but it's nowhere near any objectives. It's like in a corner somewhere where if they tag it, they're literally in a corner doing nothing. Then that's that's completely fine. That's a fine aggressive position. Um, usually, I mean, usually it does come with the castle because that's where all the buffs are and that's where the shooting does like come down and do the shooting like, and just damage my opponent. But a aggressive position with it is also completely fine. Uh, that's why, honestly, the biggest part with this list and deployment is with the Vanguard Vet deployment. Um, like you need to know where your drop pod could go on on uh, certain boards. So you need to place your Vanguard Vets in specific areas where if you do put your drop pod there, next turn, if they do decide to tag it, you just eviscerate what touches the drop pod. So I've actually had times where I had uh, somebody who charged his corn Ergo party into my drop pod and I was and tagged it and I was like, cool, whatever. And I just charged Vanguard Vets in there and killed like half the squad. Which doesn't sound like a lot, but for, you know, an Ergo, quite an Ergo party. So I was sort of sudden, I did a reverse wrap on them. So he tagged the drop pod and he was wrapping the drop pod. But I went around him and I trapped him in. So unless he, so unless he wanted to spend two CP to potentially die on ones and twos and get out so he couldn't advance and charge anymore. Um, it, it's just giving them the worst, like, what's the word? Um, the... The best choice out of two bad choices, basically. And usually, it's, as I said, because people love to tag it, it usually means I know where their where units are going to go, which really helps me with my game plan. Because if I know where you are, oh, like, literally, if, if, if I can predict where your units will go, it makes, me, makes, it makes my movement phase a lot easier and it makes positioning a lot easier. So I know where to get the most optimal damage and where to get the most optimal scores. If there's a little gap somewhere because of something like that, I can go for it and pounce, which is nice. Do you find okay. yourself um, trying to bring the drop pod in turn one and just trying to do a heavy alpha strike often, or are you scaring your opponent with it and waiting out for as long as possible uh, and basically forcing him to hide and screen until then so you can get shots on the rest of his army? Um, see, uh, usually in um, like mid to uh, lower tables, I find that the drop pod usually does come down turn one because opponents tend to make a lot more screening mistakes. So I just take advantage of that and I come in. Uh, I, I think that's more notorious is my last event where I played against uh, two Marine players, one White Scar player and one um, Space Marine where they made some screening mistakes and then the drop pod came down and picked up 800 points of the army. Like I, It's at times like those where the drop pod will come down turn one. Usually against uh, was it called, uh, like higher end opponents that know how to screen it, know how to mitigate its damage, know uh, where I where I don't want to place a drop pod, will like usually the drop pod waits a turn or two, and instead of using the drop pod actual damage, I use the threat of its damage um, to force my opponents to send out screening units. So all of a sudden I have two turns of free shooting at their screening units, getting rid of their screens before the drop pod actually comes down. Now the damage will be less, but that's why the chaplain is there because all because I'm pretty sure you know you've got one CP. Uh, a litany, uh, you can auto pass litany in any, in any phase. So I can just get one of the Devastator squads plus one to hit again, so they're back to hitting normally. And usually I will have Wisdom of the Ancients to still have 0 1. So all of a sudden I have one drop pod that's still at max efficiency. 
And then I uh, have one deficit as well as so max efficiency. And I have the other one, which I can give them target protocols reroll. So they still have two rows to hit, a row to wound, a reroll once to wound, and reroll damage. So they're both still basically shooting at not 100% efficiency, uh, but close to it. So it's it's not that bad of a trade-off, even if I do wait a turn or two. It just means I get to kill more of my opponent's units and actually whittle down at their resources, get rid of screening real resources they have, like little MSU stuff. So against Rukari, I'll be able to, able to shoot down their witches, shoot down those little cabalite units that they send, etc., etc. And all of a sudden you find that, like during at turn three, you know, you've only got like two chaff units left, you've only got like one or two units of incubi, and you've got some raiders. You don't have, you don't have your entire army because you've spent it. You've spent it trying to screen the drop pod while the other components have been uh, whittling you down slowly but surely whilst still scoring me points. I, I think it's really clever the use of your drop pod. I've actually used a lot of deep striking and even a drop pod for very similar effect in, in my previous builds and various iterations of lists. If I could try to summarize it, is it basically you scare your opponent a ton with this drop pod, and if they don't respect it, they make mistakes in deployment, just bring it in and kill them. And if they do respect it, they do screen, they do try to not die to the drop pod. It forces them to to use screens and play the game with non-committal units. And then your redemptors and your vanguard vets just get to pick up all that stuff for free while your drop pod just waits in reserve. And then they have to do it again on turn two and then again on turn three. And by then you've killed so much stuff that it doesn't matter if your pod's not effective, the army's gone. Yeah, but usually, yeah. That's all, that's, you've pretty much summarized it perfectly. Uh, but uh, it's literally, as you said, people have to respect the damage of the drop pod because if they don't, it can be fatally game-using. Like, I think I had a game vs a... Uh, orc opponent on TTS uh, where he was taking free booters uh, uh, pre-nerf so you know the, all the planes everything else and he just didn't respect the drop pod damage and the rest of the shooting and ended up losing around 800 points of the army turn one via the uh, five up in one and the minus one to hit um, so it, it goes to show that the damage of the drop pod is there so it has it has to be respected but you also need to find a balance between NOS uh, just taking so it's even the opponents usually have two options. You either take the brunt of the damage, uh, etc., or you try to mitigate it by, as I said, either sending out screens or letting the drop pod shoot you turn one, but shooting non-optimal targets, um, which not every single opponent can afford to do so. And the most most uh, common ones will be stuff like Drakari with the mass MSU, or Admech, because Admech is under-costed in many, many ways. Or even uh, like even stuff like Grey Knights can't really afford to do that because they're an elite army as well. So unfortunately, they can't afford to just send out little MSU trading pieces. Do you find that when your your opponent, and I don't want to get too specific in a matchups, so that's really what we're going to mm. save part two for. Yeah. But generally speaking, if your opponent isn't too concerned with the drop pod, um, maybe hypothetically you're playing a bunch of grotesques and racks, right? They don't care about grav and whatever. Um, if if you're playing against something that can just tank the drop pod to the face or screen it out indefinitely like a super MSU admec army, do you think your list loses a lot of of it, what makes it tick? Um, I've already f- found that to be an issue, especially in those uh, armies, especially it, like durable armies like Death Guard and uh, what's it called, Fix City with uh, the Art- Artist of Flesh. You don't really find that much of a, that that really that much of a problem because they're durable, sure, uh, but at a certain point, damage overcomes durability like there's nothing currently there's nothing in the game that's so durable that can tank like maybe sure they can potentially tank the drop pod but they can't tank the entire army shooting so stuff like uh, grotesques in the middle or just charging at you 
it's it's also easy to keep them at bay because I can stay 24 inches away and still shoot them, 24 to 30 inches away and still shoot them. Uh, and I effectively I get two shooting phases out of it, two activations, which isn't really something a Drukari player wants to do. Because I've, I've I've had it where I've had to shoot uh, as stuff like grotesques. I just stay back 24 inches away, shoot multi mounters, hyper efficient. They will usually all hit. They will usually almost all wind. And they'll fail saves, was it called? And I'll just do damage, just plink, plink damage. And then with the Contemptor, with the Dreadnoughts, with the Vanguard Vets going into cleanup, it does add up. Yeah, I, I can really see it, honestly. You know, if you can, as long as you can afford to kind of do that standoffish thing, you've got the nice counterpunch ready, you've got just enough range shooting. Even if you kind of trade shooting units, you've got at least one piece that's always going to be shooting because shutting off that Contemptor is uh, it's going to require quite a lot of effort. Okay, so I actually had some questions for you about uh, just, you know, I know we're not going to talk specific matchups yet, but has your list changed significantly with the balance update? This is actually the first uh, FAQ that we, or uh, this is the first podcast we've recorded after the uh, that big balance update dropped last week. So I was just kind of curious, is this about the same as it was then and you're just content that some people you didn't like got worse? Or uh, have you made some significant changes in line with that uh, that update? I wouldn't say any significant, really, like any real significant changes. I think the main thing that changes, I took two less multi motors and I took an eliminator squads because I think I, I uh, prior to the balance update, I just when I was like, I need max damage. I can't afford to have all these little mission plane pieces because stuff like freebooters and admech six planes will just absolutely rinse me. And my uh, was it called objective scoring thing? So I was like, okay, I I had triple um, was it called? I had triple land speeder storm, uh, not land speeder storm, land speeders multi motors. I actually had more, more I had more multi motors in the in the list. Uh, if anything, the balance update just meant I could take less of it and put in those uh, objective plane pieces again. I, I, I've got the eliminators again. Infiltrators are back again instead of incursors. Uh, I have uh, was it good? I have hammers on the sergeants now because I don't need the extra lightning claws, etc., etc. I think it was more of my competitors in the meta got worse and I got better as uh, was it called. As, as just as a byproduct of it then so there wasn't really much real changes to the list i think the main real changes i took less uh dam- slightly less damage for more objective pain capability i think that makes a lot of sense like you just there aren't as many buggies there aren't as many planes you don't need as much anti-tank the Correct. pretty simple logic line there for the I want to touch base on your just general secondary plan. You mentioned you take Oath the Moment, use Dreadnoughts a lot. What other secondaries are you looking to take? Um, this list? I'm, I'm, if, so I've got, I think, 11 or 12 sheets over here from uh, what I usually keep track of uh, from the Green Hammer lot. I'm, I'm looking at them now. Every single game, without, <laughs> without fail, there's an Oath here, there's an Engage or there's an Stranglehold, and there's usually a Banners. Like I'm looking at it right now. Engage, yeah. Engage off banners. Engage off banners. Engage. I don't know. Off stranglehold banners. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so it seems like you got <laughs> stranglehold, oath, and banners. Um, yeah. How do you? What's your plan for accomplishing that? And I'm especially noticing banners because uh, banners is one of the ones you know that's mission dependent. Sometimes there isn't a good mission for banners. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Um. Well, usually on the uh, four slash six objective missions, uh, so let's say Scorched Earth, I will, I will take banners or overrun, I'll take banners. Uh, the, 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 the nice thing about banners, right, is that even though if you place it down, your uh, you lose your auras, that only applies to characters. So I can place it down for stuff like company veterans, for example, and they don't use their bodyguard aura, 
And even if they did, I only lose it during my own turn, not during my opponent's turn. So it's nice for little stuff like that. So those, so all of those sudden, that infiltrator squad um, that you would usually have is 12-inch aura um, can place down a banner. Those three company vests can place down a banner. The Vanguard veterans that I don't always, because uh, I, I don't like overcommitting Vanguard veterans. I don't like sending two squads at once because it feels like overkill usually because my because there's so much damage in a game where my opponent can just pick both of them up and this really is a bit frustrating. So I'll what's it called? I'll move up one unit and then another unit placed on banners and the other unit that moved up is still scoring me engage. So all of a sudden those fast moving elements are still scoring me points. Um, and what's it called? I have land speeder in the middle or I've got three eliminators in the middle behind the wall. So if my so then my opponent can't shoot them. So if my opponent wants to kill those three eliminators, then I meet off or to kill that land speeder, then I uh, then I meet off. Need to commit a hard-hitting um, what's it called melee unit. They can't just send in chef like witches to kill them because I can just spend one CP for five up for no pain. And because I, I the terrain is usually defensible, I'll hit on twos. I have an artisan reroll. I I explode on sixes, so I I can just kill chef units that decide to go into my stuff like eliminators and the line speeders. And also the line speeders, I'm pretty sure as you know, have a nice uh, strat for one CP to fall back and shoot. So if they don't kill it and they leave a little bit of a gap, I can fall back, spend one CP, shoot at something delicate, like a vehicle or maybe a character that's not been guarded properly and just pick them up, which is pretty nice. Definitely. And I, I want to go a little step further because you take banners a lot, as you were saying, and mm. it kind of synergizes with the general plan of getting your opponent to to come and expose themselves so you can just blow them up and kill them with Vanguard bets. So, like, the same but, way your opponent is incentivized to screen because you took a drop pod and you don't want to get blown up by a drop pod, he's incentivized mm -hmm. to go onto your side of the board and take down your banners. So, coming on, crossing the table is getting shot and getting charged by Vanguard bets. So, in a way, you're, you're saying, I don't need these points necessarily. I'd rather kill you and figure out the points later. Is that the idea? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I think one thing uh, is you're right-ish on that point. Uh, it's, it's not like, oh, what's it called? I'll kill you and figure out the points later. It's usually, uh, I've, 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 I think a good list is a list that can kill your opponent while still scoring points as it, scores you, as it kills your opponents. Maybe not necessarily via, what's it called, kill secondaries, but just via the overall game plan. So my game plan, usually going into any match, is how can I score 100 points? Because I, I, if I go through a lot of my wins, a lot of my wins are, are either hundreds or ninety eights. So it's well, how many points can I score? Uh, and when I and I try to think, what are the most like what secondaries will give me the best uh, chance at it? And the main one would be oath. The other one is usually banners because if my if if I take banners, it usually means my game plan is to force my opponent to come to me and kill them, and then actually sort of score the majority of my banners uh, around turn four, turn five. Because uh, if my opponent doesn't have any models, turn four, turn five, I can place down banners on four objectives and score eight for the last turn five and the last end of the game. So it's really nice in that case. Yeah, banners is actually more of a late game secondary more than an early game secondary. And engage, just because the list is so maneuverable, you can always just score it as you're playing the game. And off is just off. Off is just great. If I, if I go first, my opponent dies. Usually if I go second, I score the points. Nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a great plan. Do you ever find yourself taking... Um no prisoners to the last or grind them down instead of oath there? I don't see... I, I used to take... So when, when, I was, when I was still relatively new to the list, I, I tried to build it for two to the last, but then I realized this... Uh, uh, two to the last is good, right? But the problem with two to the last is that you're not always going to score... As I said, my game plan is usually focused on trying to score those hundreds uh, because uh, when you try to make it to top table and you want to have a high uh, game... Because uh, over here is usually battle points. So I want to score those hundreds, mostly because they... It makes me feel nice. It's a little bit of an ego thing. But it's, um, it's also, 
the fact that oath allows me to not worry about what's alive in my army. Because I say if I run something down Drakari, I expect Drakari well and honestly to eventually kill me. Uh, same thing with Admech, I expect him to eventually kill me. And I don't like having a game plan where I have to be stingy with my resources. I want to be able to also, like, if, if they if they, if they throw the kitchen sink at me, I can throw it right back. If Even if I lose my models, it's fine. Because uh, as, as I was saying earlier, uh, sometimes I will just send a Dread in the middle to score me off or to score me engage. And if it dies, it dies. But it's got me those points. It's done its, it's, done its duty. It's done its due. Uh, it's absorbed fire. That's completely fine. Well, I guess this actually relates into my one of my last questions here, which is specifically how do you deploy the Redemptors when you are playing against a lot of firepower? So I, I want to put a little more context on that. When I use Dreadnoughts, and I'm not an average Dreadnought player, so it's here and there, I always struggle with, do I put them in the front Will they be very active? And you know, then they'll take a lot of firepower. And against some armies, that could be detrimental. You know, blast chickens will just pick up dreadnoughts, things like that. Mm-hmm. And or do I put them behind a ruin where they're going to be safe? They're going to get to participate past turn one if I go second and just get shot. But they're really far back behind a ruin potentially, so I'm not impacting the board as much as like I don't have good line of sight angles. I'm not getting into combat or getting oath. So, at what point do you make the call? My dreadnought is useless in the backfield, but it's dead in the front field. Um. If there is no cover in the front field, the Dreadnought will always go at the back. Because as I, as I said previously, my Dreadnoughts are not early game pieces. They're mid to late game. Because by then, by, like, by the mid to late game, you'll realize your opponents, uh, both opponents, like, both of you, yourself and your opponent, will have a lot less shooting in the game. So all that, what that means is that your opponents have a lot less anti-tank in the game. And that means your Dreadnoughts actually have a better chance of surviving and uh, just accumulating value. And as, as, as you already know, Dreadnoughts are cool. So that does mean they are obsec. So which is which means let's say mid game, uh, let's say turn three, like most of the anti tank is dead. Uh, you've got like a one and a half squad of Vanguard vets, but you still have both dreads, etc. Those dreads now move up. Those dreads now start to absorb firepower, and all of they might take your entire opponent's shooting phase to kill that dread at that point. But if they don't kill it, it's an obsec model on an objective that's really good in combat. Uh, that was, can get plus two to charge. That has four rolls to hit with uh, the chaplain. And if they don't kill it all of a sudden, it means your other resources, the other dread is completely fine. Those Vanguard vets are also completely fine. So you would have done it, as I was telling you, I only need for like five Vanguard vets to kill a unit. So now if I have one and a half squads, I can kill one and a half units comfortably. And I still have the resources that I currently have. It's just knowing when to send them out, uh, not not being overly cautious of them where they don't accumulate no value uh, because dreadnoughts are melee platforms with guns is the way I like to see them. They, they, they just excel in melee. They just happen to have guns attached to them. Um, but it's just, you need them for the mid to late game because by then your opponents don't really have an answer to them. They don't know how to deal with T7 minus one damage dreadnought that's pumping out 20 odd shots a turn. And I can do phenomenal damage in melee against basically any profile. Yeah, I think that makes that's a lot of sense, really. Like, Honestly, I, I kind of keep hearing this in my, in my head and like comparing it to my ultimarine list. Um, because I, I don't really take them anymore, but uh, my Ultramarines, I took the same successor tactics. I had the same small little, you know, ball. I think you've got a little bit more speed, and uh, the Drop Pod, of course, provides a very different kind of Alpha Strike than uh, than the Invictors I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I, I think I do like the Iron Hands better, especially right now. I've kind of retired my Ultramarines, but I'm enjoying hearing this because a lot of... Uh, it, it appeals to me because a lot of what I would do with Ultramarines, where... I would take oath because if I go first, you're dead. If I go second, I get points. Yes. Um, the exact same mentality. You know, we both took a whirlwind of rage master artisans. Yes. Again, 
everyone thinks that I'm a shooting army. I'm like, no, no, I'm a melee army yeah. with guns strapped on. Exactly. I'm, I'm, people don't understand. Marines are melee. They just happen to have guns. And their guns also happen to be pretty good at times. But they are, they are melee. 100 percent just faction it's a very interesting yeah, every, army, every a combat unit when you need yeah iron hands you know no one really looks at iron hands like a melee faction traditionally but the more and more i see iron hands being successful even back in eighth edition when i was running them i focused on the melee aspects and i view here in the scene we're definitely focusing on the melee aspects so i think that's a really good takeaway if you could kind of summarize if someone was starting out iron hands or looking to play marines and you wanted to give them some advice for planking up and playing your list, what would it be? Um, don't be afraid to take risks. Um, the, like, uh, like it, it, it took me a lot of games to start getting comfortable with, with the list, and you will lose a lot at first. That's completely natural. Um, it's not like, oh, I picked up Admech. I have six planes. I win my games if I go first. Uh, it's not that type of mentality. You need to go into it expecting um, just fo focus on the points. Uh, don't, don't be, as I said, don't be afraid to take risks. Uh, it's all right to make mistakes. Um, just put, as as long as you as long as you're willing to put in the work into learning the list and learning the different matchups, learning the different approaches, etc., etc., uh, then you 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 will find success. Maybe not in the first ten games, maybe not in the first fifteen games, but after that, you you will see the results start coming through when you start uh, scoring those hundreds and those ninety fives, and you start keeping your opponents down on uh, lower points, etc., etc. It's just learning the matchups, learning what to do in the different matchups, which, as I said, we will go into later on. Uh, having a game plan for each mission, what secondary you should take for each mission. I think right now, off by heart, I know it's a sec I know exactly like b before I even touch the table. I know what secondary to take before going into a mission in the matchup, um, which really helps because it saves me five to ten minutes, which means I can have five to ten minutes on how to deploy. And if I know the the deployment layout, so because I usually go on LJT terrain, which is the most popular in the UK, I will know which way to actually deploy. I know where to put my units. Saves me that time, and it allows me to focus more on my opponent because I already know my list. So it's nice if I if I know my points as well, and just basically just getting used to the matchups, getting putting in the reps. Um, just yeah, it's, it's, it's just as simple as that. I also buy contempt of dreadnought before it gets nerfed. There you go. That's that's something else. <laughs> there you go. Well, John, do you have any more questions for Nassim? No, uh, I I think I'm good. I actually have quite a few, but uh, I'm going to save them for part two when we're talking about all these factions. Yeah, I'm super excited. <laughs> part two for those of you who are new to the show is where we talk about every single match. We're going to ask to see how he handles Drukari and Admech and Grey Knights and all the other boogeymen of 40k. And he's going to break down step by step his game plan into each of them. That is for subscribers, so you can check that out on theartofwar40k.com. That's where you can get access to part two of this podcast, along with our other shows, Down Under and Unbroken. And check out tons of more content in the war room. Thanks so much for watching, everybody, and we will catch you later. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. Theartofwar40k.com.